The following podcast is sponsored by you. If you'd like to donate to help us continue providing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there, please use the link in the show notes for this episode. Proceeds from your donations will be used to pay for hosting fees, which are the most expensive ongoing part of providing this show. Thank you in advance, and go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. In this special off-season edition, host George Templeton reviews what's been happening since the last time the Rams hit the court. And now, here's George. Yes, Rams Rewind is back as we continue a series of episodes as we get ready for the season. And joining us today, we are very happy to have not one, but both members of the A-10's flagship podcast, the Three-Bit League. We have Tyler and we have Matt, and we're so happy to have both of them on. They've been both been on the program before by themselves, but this is the first time we get the uh, the uh, the uh, terrific duo together, and I really appreciate it. Welcome back to Rams Where You Live. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I just have to ask, is this the first time ever in your podcast that Dayton fans have outnumbered VCU fans? It is. It is, yes. Yeah, George, thank you again. Always fun on this show. And I just want to give a quick shout out for all the great work you did hunting down the people for your uh, player previews over this offseason. I really appreciated those episodes. They are the exact opposite of one of the worst hot takes that I've seen from anyone in the sports world all summer, which is that the pitch clock is ruining baseball. Oh, I will not, we'll not get into the arguments on that. As somebody that's kind of anti all the changes baseball made, but that's, we'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll just pass that by and get to the things we like talking about, which is college basketball in the Atlantic 10. As I've said on other podcasts, and as I will say here, this is a very important year for the A-10 because Let's be honest, I don't know about the Dayton fan base, but or at least the section of the VCU fan base I interact with is not happy being in this league. They're not happy as what happened the last couple of years. You know, one big league last year, they kind of scratched our way to two bits the previous year. And I think a lot, for, for at least for me, I think a lot of this is at the root of what happened in the, in the COVID year, or it's not the COVID year, excuse me. The following year, when we got kicked out of the tournament after having to play the final in Dayton after the whole setup in Richmond and all that. So, this league needs a good year, badly. And I think it's going to be a good year, but we're going to go through all that. And we're going to start uh, by looking at the preseason poll. Dayton, an overwhelming choice to be first. 21st place votes. VCU picked second. They got three. Say Bonaventure third, they got one, and then Fordham, who's picked seventh, got one. But we're going to start at the bottom with some of the teams that are picked to be in the pillow fight. And it's funny because last year, Duquesne was 15th. And when I did this with, with Matt, I said, there's no way in the world Duquesne's going to be 15th. And, you know, we both, were both, we were both kind of surprised by that. And they had a great season caught out of nowhere. This year, it's LaSalle who's occupying that role. And, I, and as you guys have rightly said on your podcast, Somehow, some way, Fran Dumphy's gonna gonna manufacture, you know, six, seven, eight wins, whatever it is in the A10. But at least on paper, I think it makes a lot more sense than say Duquesne last year. Yeah, I mean, LaSalle's not gonna be that good. Let's be very honest about that. 
They probably have the worst roster in the league. I think you can mount some arguments with a few others. But on the flip side, they also have a top three coach. And a guy who, just look at last year. Like, they were terrible last year. And yet, here they are, one or two possessions away from beating Fordham and making the A-10 semis. Mm -hmm. I don't think they'll be able to do that again this year. The team's dropped off a notch, but they'll find their way to 10th, 11th, 12th. Matt, let me ask you this. The big story, of course, with LaSalle is the new arena. It, that I, I remember at the time when he was hired, a lot of people were saying that was, that's what this was about. Fundraising, getting this new arena. What are the chances that, that now that that's done, Fran Dumpy step, steps away when this season's over? That's a good question. I mean, I think he was such a unique hire last year when LaSalle brought him in because Really, it seemed like he did it as a favor to the school and a favor to his alma mater. I don't think he ever really expected to get back into coaching after leaving Temple. So, wouldn't be surprising, and I'm sure LaSalle has thought about that a lot, looking for the ultimate replacement, somebody that they can have long-term. Because I think we knew when Dunphy was hired, it was never going to be more than a two- or three-year thing. And I think he's done a good job keeping the program afloat getting funding for the new arena finally getting that project underway is a huge step because i mean look that's made lasalle one of the jokes of the a10 for many years and i always remind people when we talk about lasalle don't forget they are the second most recent team to make it to the second weekend out of the a10 so, <laughs> i mean somebody might get them back to prominence soon and the arena is going to be a, a good first step I mean, I go all the way back. I remember when I remember in the early '90s when they had the L train, and they were, I think, back in those days, and they were nationally ranked. For God's sake! So it's like I would love to see that. I would. I like all those Philly teams doing well. So that's that's the team on the bottom. I'm really not surprised at 12, 13, and 14. Davidson, UMass, and Rhode Island. I'd certainly like to see them be better than what they were. I just don't quite know how. And and. You guys have talked about Frank Martin and, and some of the things that went on at UMass towards the end of the year when everything kind of went pear-shaped after they won the, that in-season tournament and at least briefly looked like somebody that could challenge. Can he, I don't know if he can survive another year where they, they end up in a pillow fight, even though you know he's a really good coach. Yeah, I'd say overall, I mean, expectations have to be lower than they were last year because outside of maybe GW... There's not many more teams relying on freshmen more than UMass next year, and I think that just has to be the key for that program. Obviously, they want to finish higher than 13th where they were picked, but a couple really talented new players coming into that program this year, and they also got a good transfer, Josh Cohen, who was NEC Player of the Year, and as Tyler brought up during our preview, second year in a row that UMass brought in the MVP from that conference, so we'll see where they go. I, I think it maybe even could be a situation like Duquesne last year where it's a team that just kind of gave up down the stretch last year and completely overhauled the roster. I think for a team that finished as poorly as they did, bringing in mostly a new team might not be the worst thing. Yeah, I don't think it's the worst thing. It's just going to be a really, really young team. So I wouldn't expect any kind of Duquesne-level surprise out of them who really hit the transfer portal hard. I think UMass brought in, what, Matt, two transfers? 
but one of them's a really young guy who barely played at South Carolina and Hank and Sanford. So they're going to take some lumps. I, I think that the biggest key for UMass is just show that you're going to be good for the future. Have some of these freshmen break out, be impressed by them, bring them back. Maybe you go six and 12, but if you put two guys on the old rookie team, I'd say that's probably a big success. Rhode Island, I mean, I was so excited, as, as Matt will know, because we talked about it last year when we talked about all the new coaches. So excited that Archie Miller was back in this conference. It's like, okay, Rhode Island's going to be a serious player again. And I think that's quite right that they're up there. Last year was, I, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect it to go that badly. And now here they are, they're being picked near the bottom. Is Archie Miller doing this year what he should have done last year? It's kind of a different approach because last year he pretty clearly missed in the transfer portal and the two big additions. I mean, he went out and tried to get superstars. He got Brian Freeman from GW who ended up getting kicked off the team and then Anthony Harris from North Carolina who never suited up for the Rams. And this year it was a lot more lower profile guys, um, players from low majors, a couple really good junior college guys. So... We'll see. I, I'm still kind of in a position where I think this is, I'm giving Archie one more chance just because we saw what he did at Dayton for so many years. And it just seems hard to believe that a coach of that caliber is going to finish in the bottom two back-to-back seasons. So on paper though, I mean, it, it's an inexperienced team. And if these unheralded newcomers don't pan out, it's pretty easy to see them finishing down there again. Really the only returning production they bring back is Brandon Weston, who was okay as a freshman and is probably in line for a bigger role. But I mean, that's about, you know, 10 points a game between two or three guys. And that's it. They're a concern to me. And I'm not going to say I'm concerned with Davidson's direction yet, because again, you lose, you lose a guy like Bob McKillop. You're, unless you find somebody that's as, as brilliant as that, you're gonna have a you're gonna have some teething growing pains, even with a former assistant who just happens to be a son who's been part of the program for 20 years, et cetera, and so on and so forth. I I kind of feel like out of the teams that are down there in the bottom that are picked to be down at the bottom, Davidson is the one I expect the most to be down there. It's tough. You want to bet on Davidson because you still think about the pedigree and it's still a McKillop and it's still the same system and everything. And when you look at the roster, there's not that much that's proven there. I, I personally think that Grant Huffman is going to be a borderline, if not actual, all-conference guy this year. Just look at his career performance from year to year. His role expands, and he becomes a better player every single time. That's really the only last step for him. Now, maybe he doesn't even take the point guard spot. That's probably the best-case scenario for Davidson because that means – that Angelo Brizzy, the super talented transfer from Villanova, just took it. And that he is just going to be their guy right off the bat. But you look up and down the roster, it's guys like Brizzy who have absolutely no proven track record to, to their college careers. He's probably the highest pedigree guy they have. There's a whole bunch of interesting European international guys, as always. <laughs> but you just kind of look at it and feel like they're going to find a way to make it work. And maybe because they're Davidson, they will, but Matt McKillop's not Bob. So I guess the question really is, does that mean he's 97% of Bob or he's 50%? (laughs) 
if he's 50%, it might be four years and then there might be a lot of trouble. We'll, we'll see with them. By the way, they, they've referenced, my two guests have referenced their previews. If you have not listened to the three bid league, you're an Atlantic 10 fan, especially go listen to the preview episodes because they really do a great job at getting into it, getting into these every team's roster, the expectations, the things that they're that teams are going to need to maybe outperform what they're supposed to what they're supposed to produce. And it's just terrific stuff from them, and I really that's been something I've been enjoying all year, all off season is your off season things. But the team previews, honestly, were the thing I look forward to the most. All of the hot takes episode, we'll talk about that later. I'm really looking forward to that because that was a lot of fun last year listening to that. So just folks out there, Rams Rewind fans that are listening, go go over and and patronize the three bid league, especially those episodes, because you get a great scouting report on on everybody in this league and what they're doing. So now we come to the middle of this conference. And I feel like this preseason poll is is the assumptions poll, that it's a lot based on assumptions and not on stuff that we really can believe for sure. And I'll start and I and we get to the sort of the middle of this league. Richmond, I think Richmond, I'm actually was surprised to see Richmond as highly rated by some of the metrics as they are. They end up getting picked 11th, which is about where I think they're going to be. But Richmond, George Washington, George Mason, Loyola, Chicago, they're all teams that are in a kind of weird place. Loyola, Chicago is the one that we all, everybody missed on last year for the most part, because I think we just assumed they were going to continue to be the successful program that they were. They ended up 15th. Getting picked eight, I mean, that to me would be a good season if they get eight. That's seven spots better. That's the kind of leap you want to take if you're on your way to competing again. But at that school, is that gonna is that gonna be enough progress? Well, first off, let's see where they do finish. I think that eighth is actually, if not a low projection for them, pretty much right down the middle. And I think a lot of A ten fans, they saw them come in with the flash and the pizzazz last year. And them being picked fourth was just ridiculous <laughs> last year. You can go back and listen to our previews, and we got so much stuff wrong, but we were both dead on that that team was overrated. We weren't picking them 15th, but we were throwing them down closer to where they are now. And they flame out so bad in year one that I think a lot of A-10 fans looked at this and said, oh, well, they suck. Like, what the hell is our proof that they're not going to be a pillow fight team this year? The proof is in the transfers they got. Demi Adelakun, Greg Dolan, Des Watson, a guy that we all know from Davidson. Mm-hmm. These are incredibly intelligent players who look like the type of guys that Porter Moser had. They're trying to rebuild this team around really a three-man core of Philip Alston, who played like an all-conference guy to end the year last year. Braden Norris, who was an all-conference guy in the Missouri Valley, is their point guard, who really struggled with a lack of talent around him last year. And Ben Schweiger, who doesn't really do anything flashy, but is just kind of the ultimate 3 and D wing in this league. It's He's like an NBA prototype. He's not an NBA talent, but he's an NBA prototype thrown onto a mid-major team. He's going to knock down a ton of open shots from the corner. He's an above-average defender. And they actually have the proper guys around them this year. They're going to be so much more efficient than last season offensively. They were dead last in Ken Palm and that metric in the conference. That's going to go way up. That takes me to George Mason. And I and I absolutely understand why they're picked 10th. 
one of the few teams that lost a coach in the offseason. You lose all-conference stud Josh Aduro. It's a lot to ask for a new coach to come in there and keep them competitive and keep them in the top five, six, or seven. But you've had Ronald Polite on your show, and Ronald Polite could be easily a first or second team all-conference player. That's what he's capable of. Maybe Tony Skin is the next great coach, and we just don't know it yet, Matt. I think bringing back Polite is the key that keeps George Mason out of the basement here and potentially elevates them to a borderline double die team. I mean, like you said, with Tony Skin, a first-year head coach, and so many new transfers, George Mason, I think, is one of the biggest unknowns. But defensively, I'm really excited to see what this team can do. They have some monsters in the paint. I mean, Malik Henry... I've been pretty high on for the last couple of years, and he's finally getting that chance without Oduro. Amari Kelly, who we knew way back at Duquesne, is coming off a nice season at UNC Wilmington. So that front line should be solid. I think the question is just going to be how well can this team shoot the ball? A lot of that's going to fall on the Virginia Tech transfer Darius Maddox, who might be one of the highest ceiling newcomers in the league after having a really good season with the Hokies two years ago and then Last year missed, I think, the last 10 games down the stretch and didn't produce quite as well. But, I mean, there is a lot of talent, a lot of high major transfers coming in. It's just the question of if a new coach can fit all of the pieces together and figure out what the best rotation is going to be. So we got to talk about Richmond because they are our city rival. And as I said, I think they're they're down about where I think they're going to be. The Jason Nelson thing was came out of left field for me. I was surprised by it. A lot of other people weren't that he transferred. I kind of thought, even though he wasn't getting time at the end of the season, that what he showed early was enough to say he could be an integral part of, of their plans for this coming season. And of course, he's now at VCU, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But I, I just, I think this is going to be a really tough year for the Spiders, and I wonder, you know, I wonder what Chris Mooney's situation is going to be like because he's. He's been close to getting the getting the axe, and then he's had performances and teams that have kind of turned the fans' opinion around in his favor. And I just wonder about about how this year's going to go for him, and what it's going to be like for him at the end of the year if we're sitting here and they go say six and twelve, and they're you know in the pillow fight. Yeah, I, I think when you're a guy who's an absolute legend at your school like Mooney, you probably get three years of bad before they get rid of you unless one of them is just like more of a one in 17, two in 16 abject disaster than what you're saying. And I really don't know where to put this team. I was working on my preseason, finalizing my preseason rankings yesterday. And at various points I had them at nine and then at 14. And there's a really wide band that you can throw them in. They pick up this East Tennessee state transfer, Jordan King, who's, just kind of a do-it-all scorer passer who is going to run the point for them this season and really be the guy that they really missed last year. Problem is, this isn't last year's roster. As everybody knows, Tyler Burton's gone now. He's off at Villanova. So they've lost their stud scorer. And I think that the piece that people are really going to miss is that they're going to badly hurt without Matt Grace. When the Spiders actually played well in the end of the season, it's because... They really empowered not only Neil Quinn, who got a lot of attention because his numbers went up to close out the year, but Matt Grace as well. 
And having those double big playmakers together was really the one thing that let the Richmond off offense hum. So they pick up a pair of good transfer point guards, but the forward position is really in a, a bad shape that we haven't seen from Richmond in quite a long time. When you talk about that variance, if Neil wins an all-conference player, are we talking about maybe even better than ninth? Probably not. Uh, and like, yeah, maybe eighth. I, I think there's a big gap between the top seven and everybody else. One team will sneak their way into that, but just because Neil Quinn's an all-conference guy and he'll put up the big numbers that might get him there even on a bad team, but I just don't see the talent all around this roster. They're going to struggle offensively pretty bad this year, and it's not like they have like the Jacob Gilliard stud defender on the other side. You got Isaiah Bigelow. You got another SoCon transfer whose name I is blanking me right now. Um, Harris, I think. Yes, thank you. Uh, Harris. But they're going to be really small in the backcourt. Quinn's not that fast. Like, I don't know what Richmond's going to do very well this year, except they're going to pass to a lot of guys who don't make open shots. All right. You mentioned the top seven. We're now headed that way. But as I said, this, this, this poll is sort of a poll of assumptions and assumptions that I think probably need to be challenged in years one. One of these teams is not like the other, and that team is St. Louis. I, I, am, I am firmly not buying St. Louis finishing sixth or finishing in the top seven. I know Gibson Jimerson is really, really good, but they have lost so much. And the, and the players they're banking on, I think it's like you've been saying for some of these other teams, there's just not a lot of proof that they're going to be able to come through at that level. I know Travis Ford's had a lot of success in this league, and they've had a lot of 20-win seasons, and usually they're up there. I feel like St. Louis is headed for a huge fall. Yeah, Matt can take this one. He's probably got a better analysis here, but I just want to throw in, they're in sixth out of respect to Travis Ford, and that is 100% why. Yeah, this is the one I was surprised on media day. I I think it is just a reputation pick where St. Louis has consistently been a double buy team. But right now, I mean, the biggest question, and I'll say too, for most of the offseason, I was trying to find ways to talk myself into them staying in that fourth, fifth, sixth place range that we've always seen the Billikens. But, I mean, they're going into the season potentially with no true big men. Right now, they've got Bruce Zhang, the freshman from China who's dealing with a knee injury. Their other two international big men have eligibility concerns. They haven't been in the exhibition game so far. And I, I think the biggest question of all is just how do you replace Yuri Collins? I feel like the only way for St. Louis to really have a a season where they're contending again is if they get back to the 2018-19-20 era where they would just be the more physical team and dominate on the class. And with with how little size they have, I just have a hard time seeing that happening. So maybe we'll be surprised. I do think Tim Dolger from Tulsa is a little bit of an underrated transfer, and he's played the five there a little bit before, has some good rebounding numbers, but it just seems like with losing so much offensive talent from the last couple years, playing a small lineup just might not work out that well. The Hassan French is not walking through that door. No, he's not. <laughs> Neither is Jimmy Bell Jr. 
Yeah, when you and when you talk about those St. Louis teams, that's the guy that pops into my mind because I mean it was. <laughs> I, I I looked at playing him and it's like God, I you'd have to be in the tub for two hours after playing against him. It's, he could just lay the lumber. I absolutely love watching him play, except when he played against VCU. Fordham, who got a first place vote, picked seventh. When you guys talked about Fordham, I was I, I liked what I heard because. This conference has been dominated on the defensive end by Dayton and VCU. The last five, six years, they've been almost always the best defensive teams, way up there in, in Ken Palm and defensive efficiency, and could just and at times could just strangle the life out of you. I feel like that's Fordham with the way you guys were talking about him. Couldn't Fordham be that team that's a top twenty defensive efficiency team? Because they are bringing, as you po- I pointed out on your pod, on your pod. You talked about it. They're bringing back some guys that can lock you up. I think that's what I feel maybe most confident about. If I had to make a big prediction, I I do think Fordham's the best defensive team in the conference. And clearly they lose the two all-conference caliber players, Quisenberry and Moore. But, I mean, they bring back all of the keys to that strong defense. And there's a lot of guys too on this roster that didn't play a whole lot of minutes last year just because it was a deep team. But I think some of these big wings like Ramad Dean, Angel Montas, Elijah Gray, like they're going to contribute too. And pretty soon you're going to be learning those names. So just the big question is going to be, are they going to be able to score? Because outside of Will Richardson, who Tyler and I both love after he had a nice freshman season, there's just not a whole lot of guys that can shoot on this roster. And if they're going to win, it's going to be a lot of ugly games, I think. But we saw that last year and certainly feel like this program, after years of being in the basement, Keith Ergo's got things headed in the right direction. I'm really excited to see just where he can take this team and if he can keep things going. Yeah, and I'll throw in, too, the name to remember. If their offense is going to be decent, it's going to be because of their transfer point guard, Jafet Medor. Comes in from Texas, San Antonio, had a 20-plus point performance in their exhibition. He's the one kind of offense first guy on the whole roster. I loved during the episode you just had with Dr. John Giannini, which I was listening to this morning as I was walking the dog out. He's talking about Rose Hill Gym. Nobody wants to play there, <laughs> bumping all that other stuff. See, for me, I would, I would love to play in a place like that because that's old school basketball. That's like basketball the way... It was played for 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And, I mean, you know, everybody can play in these nice arenas and all this other stuff. It, you, you need to play an arena where the heat ain't on, it's cold, and you just got to soldier through, and you can hear you can hear the ball bounce off the, off the rims even when it's loud in there and all that kind of stuff. And I think, and I, and I think the point that, you were make, that he was making and that you guys made is that that is a real home court advantage, especially when it's full. Yeah, it, it is now, and I, I think... I mean, something I've talked about this offseason, that's probably the most important thing for Forum. Like, I think even more than wins and losses, they need to keep packing that arena because for years, just nobody cared about Forum basketball. And really, it's it hasn't been until the last two years where that's changed. And I mean, I think we really saw it come to fruition in the A-10 tournament when Fordham had a real home court advantage at the Barclays Center. All right, everybody has a call celebra. And I've kind of made St. Joe's my call celebra. They're picked fifth. I, except for VCU, I'm rooting for this team more than anybody else. Because I want 
there to still be, I want St. Joe's to show, then you can still build a program the conventional way in this era that we're in of NIL and transfer portal that you can recruit players, get them playing in your system, get them to stay, and then at the end you get to pay off with a great team that everybody remembers, and those players become part of your program kind of forever. So I am completely in on St. Joe's. I am saying they're a double buy team. Uh, they're picked fifth. Am I okay? Am I am I going overboard about it, or is is this team? Can this team be really that good? Is Billy Lang the guy that can win enough games with this kind of team now that he finally has it? Well, the only prediction that I disrespect at this point on St. Joe's is anyone who does throw them in fifth. Because it's the easy cop-out. You look at the teams at the top and, oh, well, they're going to have their defensive problems. We'll slot them behind the Dayton's and the VCU's. But, you know, they probably have more pure talent than, say, Fordham or St. Louis. I feel like you got to either go all in, like you did on Eric Reynolds as a superstar. This team's going to outshoot everybody and they're a potential NCAA tournament double-buy type team. Or you go the other way of they have no track record of playing decent defense. The starting lineup was not that good last year, and they're probably a 500 team with this talent. So I respect the fact that you want to go all in on this being a good squad. If you're right, it's because Eric Reynolds is an NBA-level superstar. He has all the skill set. If he goes up a notch this year, he's going to be a second-round pick next season. And his backcourt mate, Lindgrew Third, mm. his ascendance in the last six weeks of the year turned St. Joe's from really a laughing stock into a respectable team. He's the perfect running mate next to Reynolds. Great ball distributor. He rebounds. He can take the tougher defensive assignments. But the big keys at the center position, they were horrible. <laughs> Just horrible when Eduke Obina didn't play last year. Yes. And the only reason that they finished the season on a little bit of a mini hot streak is because Rashir Fleming became a starting level A10 center. So floor spacer and shot blocker. And now they got a freshman who theoretically does both of those things as well in Chris Asandico. If one of those two, well, actually, not even if one of them ascends to like an all conference level, if those two can combine to be one of the three three or four best center combinations in the A-10, that's something that St. Joe's flat out has not had anything close to in the Billy Lang era. Is Asandico as, I mean, he's a man mountain. So I guess, I mean, the thing is, is there going to be issues with the, with their ability? Is there going to be issues with him getting tired at the end of games? You know, are there going to be issues with fouls? Those are the things that I kind of worry about when I hear about a guy that is as gigantic as him. Those things really honestly shouldn't matter that much because of Fleming. I, I don't Unless one of them is a truly transcendent player, probably not much more of a need to play either of those two guys more than 22 okay. to maybe 25 minutes a game. All right, and that takes me to now we're in the top four. Duquesne and St. Bonaventure. We all about Duquesne's bounce back last year. Keith Danbrock did an incredible job, and as you guys have pointed out, they are so loaded up front with big guys. I mean, they they might be the they might be the Gulliver team this year. St. Bonaventure has got the best coach in the league. 
And he's got everybody coming back, which means that thick playbook of his is going to be probably fairly close to fully employed. And as we all know, he's got to play for everything. And and they all and it seems like they all work most of the time. St. Joe's or Duquesne, which one is more likely? Okay, which one is a better chance of winning this conference? Between St. Bonaventure and Duquesne or St. I mean, Joe's St. Bonaventure and Duquesne, excuse me, yes. I think we're going to have different answers for this one. So, Tyler, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'll take the Dukes. I'm a little down on St. Bonaventure this year. I'll, 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 save, I'll save your listeners from that full rant right now. But <laughs> the Dukes have a sneaky, talented roster. We don't think about it that way because they're Duquesne. And they're always... The only reason that they're not the punchline of everybody is because LaSalle plays above a pool and Fordham is Fordham. <laughs> Otherwise, no one would ever believe in this team. But they have the deepest front court that I've seen any A-10 team have in a long, long time. Seven legitimate potential starting level big men on that team, beginning with Trey Williams, the potential all-defensive guy who can guard basically any big man you throw at him. He's now backed up by a guy in Andre Savrasov, who is all-conference in the Sun Belt. He's a three-point shooter rebounder, the kind of backup stretch for that Keith Dambrot loves. And really, the big breakout guy in that front court, a player that if VCU fans were really paying attention when those two met in January, they should know the name, and that is Halil Barre. He did not make his career debut until that VCU game. Mm -hmm. Got a few minutes against Toby Lawal and just beat him up bad. This dude, you talk about Asandico being a mountain of a man. Halil Barre is like a slightly smaller mountain. <laughs> it looks like he's finally healthy. He's a talent that the coaches love. And so they got a lot going on in the front court and – of course, I've gone this whole way without talking about their two best players. Day-Day Grant, who is a, going to be a first-team all-conference guy, he is the critical key to their offense. And then Trey Clark, the best wing defender in the A-10. The former VCU guard that we do miss. At least, but at least the fans do. I don't know about other people, but uh, Trey Clark Trey Clark could, could play at people when he was at VCU, and it's no different now, and of course... He absolutely let the Rams have it with both barrels in that game up in, up in uh, Pittsburgh. And uh, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens when he comes back. All right. We heard Tyler's answer. Matt, what's your answer? St. Bonaventure or Duquesne? Who's a better chance to win this conference? Well, I, I think it's great that Duquesne has seven you know, starting caliber big men, but that doesn't really matter for St. Bonaventure because Mark Schmidt's going to find his six guys and they're going to play all of the 40 minutes every night. So <laughs> who needs that kind of depth? But really when it comes to St. Bonaventure, what excites me is the improvements in the backcourt. Because last year, like you already mentioned, just having probably the most complicated playbook in the conference and bringing an entirely new roster in, this year is the complete opposite where they really don't lose any key rotation players from last year. And they fortify that team with two good, experienced guards, Charles Pride and Micah Adams-Woods, who I think are going to take a lot of pressure off Kyrell Luke and Daryl Banks. Those guys 
both had to do probably a little bit too much at times last year where Luke was a little bit overwhelmed coming over from the Patriot League and needing to run point. And then Banks just had too many inefficient games. And I think having another big time scorer in Pride who's got over 1,500 career points, that's going to help a ton. And then also the front court, I think, gets slept on a little bit because there weren't as many additions. But uh, Chad Venning last year sneakily played outstanding down the stretch last year and I to be honest I don't remember off the top of my head but the player formerly known as Jan Farrell is coming off an all-rookie season too and uh, I think he's going to provide some much needed floor spacing because overall this was a team that struggled quite a bit offensively last year and I think a lot of that had to do with just the lack of familiarity and every player learning all the team chemistry and running the plays. We've seen it before with Mark Schmidt's teams where they get better over time. And when he's able to bring back a lot of guys, he's had success in the past. You mentioned Chad Venning. If, if St. Joe's is my team, that's a call of celebrity, then Chad Venning is my player. Who's a call of celebrity. <laughs> I am the biggest Chad Venning fan outside of only in New York. I'm confident in saying that. I think he's going to be an all conference player. If he is a all-conference player, then what is St. Bonaventure ceiling? I mean, I think they could win the league, honestly. And part of that is just because I don't love any of the other options. I don't think anyone in particular is set up to completely dominate the league, or at least we'll find out who that is at some point, like a month into the season. But right now, it could be four or five different teams. And... I mean, with the improved guard play, like I mentioned, if they have one of the, like, if we say Deron Holmes is the best center in the conference, mm-hmm. is it out of question that Chad Venning's the second best? That That's a big stretch, but I think he could get there, at least offensively. All right, we're now up to the top two, and this is, to me, these are the two biggest assumptions. State has voted one and BCU's voted two in part because that's the way it's been. But there are Tons of questions. I think more for VCU than Dayton. We'll get to Dayton in a moment. Let's do VCU because that's that's the team that uh, our listeners are the most interested in. And it's a brand new roster for the most part with a brand new coach. So I'll be honest, I couldn't put them second if I was voting. There's just no way that I could do it. And that's even before we talk about the injury to Sean Barristow, the whether Bama still is going to be eligible or any of that stuff. Yes, they looked really good in their in their exhibition game, but it's Mars Hill, you know. That's you take I take that with grains of salt. I the worry that I had that I had with them is, is that it is if you drop off defensively, it's a lot harder to make it up offensively. If you drop 20, 30 spots in Ken Palm and defensive efficiency, I feel like you almost have to go up double in offense to make up for it. And we, I think we're all hopeful here, all of us VCU fans in Richmond and other places, that they can do that. But you can't be sure. It's a unique situation for VCU. And I don't, well, a couple of things. I don't think we've ever seen a team lose so much and still get picked so high in the preseason poll. And a big part of that is the transfer portal and immediate eligibility. But also, when's the last time that an A-10 school hired a coach coming off an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament? That That's the one thing I feel really good about with VCU is that 
I think they immediately hired one of the best coaches in the conference who left a good situation at Utah State, too. I mean, that's a that's a very solid basketball program. And I, I think it says a lot that he chose to come to VCU. But what I think sets VCU apart from St. Bonaventure last year, where it was similar, they had to replace all of their production just about, is that VCU just gets a different type of player into their program. They just have more talent overall. And getting the two Utah State guys, I'm really excited to see the three sophomores that VCU's bringing back from last year, none of which played a major role last year. But, I mean, we were excited about them last season coming in as big-time recruits, and we've seen over the years VCU's always recruited well. So the thin rotation scares me a little bit. Like you said, don't know about Bamisil and Barristow right now. But talent-wise, I could still... It's harder to be confident picking VCU first or second. But they could definitely get there. Tyler, one of the friend, one of my friends I was on a pod with last night said Havoc is dead. But I wonder if Havoc is going to switch from the defense to the offense in the sense that they're going to employ so many people who can't score and who can't shoot that that's where the Havoc's going to come because the idea in Ryder's own, own system is the good shot is an open shot. And theoretically, anybody can take that shot. Can that work in this league? Havoc on offense, so to speak. I mean, that's kind of what GW did last year. And they managed to ride that to a 500 record with a significantly worse roster than what VCU has right now. Like, significantly worse. And you mentioned, oh, you probably got to jump double the amount of Ken Palm spots in offense. So giving your example, going up 40 to 60, I think if everyone stays healthy, that's probably a given. I'd more so be worried that the defense might drop more than 30 spots, that you could essentially have an inversion where you now become one of the great offenses in college basketball with a very pedestrian defense. And that's going to come down to so many of these different athletes on this team. And I said it on our VCU team preview on our pod. I think the Rams have the most questions of any team in the league, but the potential answers are so much greater than all of the other teams with big holes. The potential answers are, oh, Fats Billups does play like a top 100 recruit. Two of the three between Furman, Wheeler, and LaWall turn out to be very quality A-10 centers. It's, I think so much of this comes down to those four and Michael Bell and the fact that you need to probably end up with two quality starters and one really good bench piece out of those five to have a shot to be a potential title contender. We know Shulga's going to be great. I think he's a first-team all-conference guy. The good thing for VCU is, while Bearstow's injury may end up sinking any at-large hopes they have, losing him for a really tough November stretch, it looks like he should be fully healthy for conference play given his current timeline. Six to eight and Kawani Kawani's just, just a nice guy to have. Like, he's kind of overqualified to just be a role player on an A-10 team. <laughs> I think he'll just do He'll do a lot of random little things that your best players aren't going to give you. So that takes us to Dayton, who was picked first. And I'm, I'm of two minds on Dayton. One is, they've got questions, because yes, they have Deron Holmes, but they also had Deron Holmes last year, and they had the struggles they had. But a lot, to me, of that, those struggles were just rotten, awful, terrible injury luck. I mean, 
I don't know what ladder Anthony Grant walked under last year or what mirror he broke, but part of me says Dayton is going to be amazing this year because they simply can't have the kind of bad luck, the some of the screwball games they played in conference play, what happened to them against VCU at the UD Arena when that game was over as a contest, it looked like, at halftime. That game was done, in my opinion. I mean... You should have seen the game thread in our group that night at that first half. Everybody was just losing it. And so I'm thinking to myself, that can't possibly happen to them two years in a row. Anthony Grant's too good a coach. They're bringing back some really good players. And you just can't get that unlucky two years in a row, right? I I don't know. I kind of feel like the bad luck already started in the preseason. I mean... When's the last time the preseason number one did anything in this conference? Well, it doesn't yeah, seem yeah. to go well. Yeah. Yes. And I I wasn't excited, I'll say, as a Dayton fan. I knew it was coming. I wasn't that excited to see Dayton pick first, but it made sense. I, the exciting thing, though, I mean, getting Deron Holmes back, he's not an A-10 talent. He's so much better than that, and Dayton is lucky to have him, I think. But it's just all about how much they can surround him with and last year the guard play was just really inconsistent all of those guys were injured they all had to recover from um various just lower body leg injuries throughout the off season and the hope is that they all will be ready to go november 6th 100 percent on the court but losing to marnie kamara I, I feel like if it's even possible to overlook the loss of an NBA draft pick, that's going to be huge because, as you mentioned earlier on, Dayton has consistently been one of the best defensive teams in the conference. And Holmes is still, I think, as good of a defensive player as you'll find in the A-10, but he's had the benefit of playing alongside another elite rebounder and rim protector. So that power forward position, in addition to the guard health, is such a huge question and Dayton's got a couple guys that could fill that void but nobody has really stood out yet at this point and we'll just kind of have to find out who that is that gets a lot of the minutes Tyler how does how does Dayton how does Dayton fix some of those just inexplicable performances you know losing at St. Bonaventure the way they did some of these other games that they lost in conference play where you where I was just sitting there going what how that that's that to me is the thing that Dayton's got to overcome here if they're gonna if they're gonna finish first, is that they're not gonna they're not gonna step on a rake and stub their toe in the middle of January against you know Lasalle not well maybe not Lasalle that's probably ridiculous but Richmond something like that. So I want to preface all of this by saying let's definitely not overlook how big of a loss Tumani Kamara is. I think he was the defensive player of the year in the conference last year. I'm sure the VCU fans will hate to hear that, given their affection, well, their prior affection for Ace Baldwin. But he was was a more important defender than Holmes was on that team. And you kind of saw it in those VCU games, the fact that he started guarding Ace Baldwin in those performances and doing a good job of it. But it wasn't just the unluckiness it was the fact that basically everyone besides those two guys was a disappointment last year. And Smith and Bray and Elvis, who all come back, they were all visibly hurt for good parts of last season. And everyone except for those five just didn't give them enough. 
they got a few really good Mustafa Amzil scoring games, but other than that, their role players were just significantly below what they needed to be last season. So you give yourself the step on the rake insurance by basically clearing the leaves out of the lawn and looking where you're going. And they do that in the form of all of these new guys that they've brought in. They actually have a backup point guard this year in Bennett coming in from Merrimack, a guy who's going to be a gritty defender who I don't ever expect to be a great player in this league, but someone who's spelling Malachi Smith for 10 minutes a game. Absolutely great for the great for that spot. Enoch cheeks is, I think going to be a streaky offensive player, but on the nights that he is on could be the deadliest shooter in the league. And he's also an above average defender on the other end. He rebounds well for the small forward position. This team is just a lot deeper than last year. They have so much more optionality and God forbid, hopefully those three guys stay healthy this season. But in the event that you lose, say a Kobe Elvis for 12 to 15 games, instead of him having to play hurt like last year, you can take him out and actually have quality players to put in his stead. That, and to me, that's great news. Cause again, yes, there's, there's a rivalry and VC wants to finish ahead of Dayton, but this league needs Dayton to be good. It's as simple as that. If this is going to be a multi-bid league this year, Dayton's going to be one of the teams that gets one of those bids. And I have no doubt about that. Now, that is the preview portion of this. One of my favorite things about your your pod is the term that you coined that I had not heard until you coined it. So I'm going to explain where I'm going to do is coin it, have you explain it for our audience, and then we're going to do a little over-under here. That is the epitome of brutality. I love that more than anything because it's such a perfect way to describe what you're about to describe. So for our listeners, what is it? What is an epitome of brutality loss? So that is credited to the great John Rothstein of CBS. It's when you pay a team to come play a home game and then they beat you. So for example, if VCU were to blow that first Friday game to Samford, who they paid a nice chunk of money to come in for after, and this is what's going to actually make it really funny if this is the bad game that they lose. Samford was supposed to play Duquesne that night. Duquesne got an offer they couldn't pass up to play College of Charleston in a neutral site and got out of the game, and VCU slid in like two minutes later. (laughs) Samford's a really good team. They might win the SOCON this year. So if you blow that game, that becomes an epitome of brutality. Well, that would be Jacksonville last year for us. That that would be Jacksonville for us. And, and that course, was they, a true epitome because they stunk. These oh, four teams you're playing to start this year are all better than what Jacksonville, Jacksonville was last season. Jacksonville did not even qualify for the A-Sun tournament. So that that was just – that eyesore was one you couldn't, you couldn't take your eyes off of last year. And, of course, equal time, a couple of years ago when Dayton almost made the tournament, they had a couple of those at the start of the season – so that has been the thing that's plagued this conference, the epitome of brutality. Now, I, I think I'm not sure if we should cut it off and say the top half of the conference or if we should include everybody in this because I'm guessing everybody does have buy games. If I set the over-under at five and a half losses that would qualify for epitome of brutality, is this conference going to go over it or under it this year? 
I feel like we've had about 15 each the last yeah. two years, isn't that? I think it's got to be. You have to put the over like <laughs> minus 1,200. It's a lot. Which should it be like 10 and a half? I mean, I could see yeah. UMass getting like four by themselves. So no, If it's wrong. a bad year, there could be six in like the first 10 days or something. No, don't say that. Don't say that. I that, think that kind of happened in 2020. Matt, what, was it 2019 or 2021 where there was like seven in the first week of the season? Well, 2019. I think it was, before, think it was 2019. That was the year we started the podcast. Yeah. And I remember that was the year George Mason was picked like second and they started 0-3. <laughs> if you want a, a fun trip down memory lane. All all three were epitome of brutalities too. So, okay. So, I, I okay. So, if it's. If it's like five or two, five and a half or six and a half, it's actually that would be a good season. That would be a good season. That's I'd say single digits is attainable, though. Honestly, I mean the key really. Obviously, you want the bottom of the conference to be strong too, but it's got to be like Dayton, VCU, St. Bonaventure, Duquesne. I'll even throw in Fordham and St. Joe's. Like those teams all need to win their non-conference games, especially the home games, because as soon as you lose to the you know, 249th ranked, like Eastern Illinois, New Mexico kind of State. Yeah. Oh, yes. Southern cool. Illinois, Edwardsville. <laughs> I mean, those nights, I'm watching some of those games and I'm just, I'm just like, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. That was my overall reaction to it is it was happening over and over and over again. So interestingly, to the very first night of the season, the A-10 plays 12 games all at home. I believe all 12 have to be by games. If you go by Ken Palm, the most One difficult is games. Is it? They're all at home. Oh, wait, no, they? sorry, sorry. I'm thinking of day two. Yeah. The hardest games are actually VCU versus McNeese State. Uh, Ken Palm gives VCU an 80% chance to win, and then Duquesne has a 79% chance against Cleveland State. I mean, it, it's on the table for the league to go 12-0, and 0 and we'll know right away. I mean, if, if there's two epitome of brutalities, like if, I mean, GW loses to Stonehill, who's like in their second year of Division One, then we're, we're going to have some bad vibes right away. I, I don't want to go through another November or December like the last couple. I just don't. Just because I don't want to hear... I don't want to have to listen to people saying all year, we got to get out of this league. We got to get out of this league because it's an argument we've had over and over again. Let me wrap up with this. The next episode that these two gentlemen are going to be recording is the hot takes episode, which is one of the best episodes of the year. I love the hot takes episode. So, of course, because I can't help myself, I'm going to throw two in. One of them I tw- I've already tweeted out, which is five A10 teams will be top 100 by the time we get to conference play in the net. That's number one. And number two, Dayton or VCU will not get a double buy. One of them won't. I don't know which one. I don't, I'm saying one of them won't because for me, St. Bonaventure and Duquesne are going to be in the top four. I'm as, I'm as, and, and excuse you, St. Bonaventure and St. Joe's are going to be in the top four. I'm as confident of that as anything. So I'll just get your reaction on that and then we can wrap up. I'd say for, well, for the first one, I, I think last year did the A-10 have three top 100 teams? Maybe only two. If it, it was, was just Dayton and VCU. Was anyone else in there? By January is what I remember. Yeah, I would be, I, I'll say this, I'd be really disappointed if there's not at least five because, I mean, three. historically. St. Louis was 96. Okay. I mean, but we used to, it wasn't that long ago, we used to have seven or eight top 100 teams, and I, I like that. 
that pick. I'm I'm hoping that it's not too hot and it actually happens. As for the second one, I I will say as a Dayton fan, do I feel very good about the Flyers winning the conference? Not really. I do feel very good they're going to be a top four team just because if there's one thing we can take from the last five or six years of the Anthony Grant era, they're never going to just stink. They're always going to be right there at the end and they've just happened to fall short. VCU is a little bit more interesting. I mean, I think their ceiling is about as high as anyone in the conference, but they're also a couple injuries away from being really thin if things go south. So I would expect VCU to also be top four, but there is a little bit more risk involved. Yeah, to me, it's... I think five in the top 100 is a decently mild take. Okay. There's just more depth in that kind of second tier of team this year than there was last season. The Duquesnes, the St. Joe's, the Fordhams, that hopefully if everyone takes care of business in the non-conference, and this is where it really helps if, say, Dayton goes above and beyond in the first few weeks of the season, and so that... Maybe they do lose to a Fordham midseason. Well, that could really elevate them just because of getting that win. For the VCU Dayton thing, Matt said it perfectly. Like, if Deron Holmes plays 30 games this year, Dayton's going to find a way to finish in the top four. Okay. No matter what. Like, last year was the year from hell they finished second. It's true. <laughs> it was a bad conference, but it's not like the conference could be that huge of a step better this year. I think the pathway to it is kind of connected to your other take. If we end up with five teams in the top 100 and there's actually a decent battle for the title, you can start to see the pathway for VCU where, oh, none of the centers really step up. Like maybe there was a reason Roosevelt Wheeler didn't play that much at Louisville and Bearstow just never quite get never quite gets right. And the defense takes a huge step back. Like You can find your pathway to VCU being like a sixth place team. I'd say you can also find the pathway if you want. I mean, VCU could just go 16-2 and two because they're VCU. And they're consistently getting picked highly for a reason. So I, I don't mean for us to come on a VCU podcast and say, this is why it's not going to happen. I think it's just, compared to the last couple seasons, there's a little bit less certainty that it's going to be a great team. And I, I think part of it is just they need to figure out what the new identity is going to look like getting away from Havoc and the Shaka Smart coaching tree. Well, this has been great, gentlemen. I can't thank you enough for joining me as we get ready for this season. As I've said, you guys, you guys operate a podcast that is, for me, the flagship of this conference. And I really appreciate it. I've appreciated all the great stuff. Let's do the shameless self-promotion because that's what we believe in here. So anything else besides anything you want to shout out that's on, on social media and what, else, and what else you're up to besides the upcoming episode that you're, that you're about to record? Yeah, go, uh, go check out our Hot Takes episode. That'll come out on opening day of the season. We got a really fun first-time guest coming on to join us for that. We'll go through all of our preseason predictions a little bit more in depth into things like all conference, just a, a lot of how we're feeling going into the season. Go back and listen. We just had Dr. John Giannini on, dove in on all the favorites, plus some really deep looks at LaSalle, St. Joe's, Fordham. Always a terrific guest. It's a great episode for anyone who really wants to learn. And our team previews, as you've mentioned, 
other than that, uh, go follow us on Twitter at 3 Pod. I think Tyler pretty much hit it, although I think we might be on the other website as well. I haven't even been on there oh, yet. Oh, yeah, we're we on Blue that? Sky under the same handle. And I should, I should also mention as well, go check out Busting Brackets. I haven't done anything for that all offseason, but I do have a fun piece that's in the works. Should be sometime pretty early in the season coming out. Uh, won't be too VCU specific, but... Oh, actually, wait. No, it will. I forgot what I'm working on. Uh, this, this should be very much of interest to VCU fans so long as this kind of comes out to plan. That's, that's my little tease. Yeah, thank you all very much, folks. That's Reigns Rewind. We are so close. We have gotten through this long, terrible offseason, and the season is nearly here. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to more coming out as we get closer to the season. Thank you all for listening. Remember the PayPal. You can donate to us if you like what you hear and you enjoy this podcast. We appreciate the support you gave us last year, and we hope we continue to get garner your support this year. Thanks for listening. Until next time. To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. We'll be back after the next game, and thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.